Good morning, Radiant Church. I am trying really hard in this season. I felt a really strong conviction on my soul to take more moments to just stop. To just take more mental pictures, not let so many moments pass by. And I'm just, man, just singing with you guys, being in this room of believers who the Holy Spirit dwells in. This is special. So I'm just taking a mental picture of this right now. And I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Can I pray real quick? Partially because I love talking to Jesus with you. Partially because I need it. Jesus, you are present in this place this morning, Father God. You are here. Your Holy Spirit is alive and is dwelling inside of us, Lord God. And we are thankful to be a church who can be together, Jesus. We are thankful for that. So, Lord God, may uh, not a single moment be taken for granted this morning, Jesus. Our words of worship, Lord God, may they be a fragrant offering to you this morning, Jesus. We love you, God. You are holy. You are good. You are set apart, Jesus. Our words are yours. Our hearts are yours. Our breath is yours. It's here now we pray. Amen. Let's get this party started, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about. My name is is uh, Maddie, and I am the campus pastor here at Pleasant Hill, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Start off with a little story. Um, a lot of times when I'm scrolling on social media or talking to friends, I, I hear things like, oh, I just think I was born in the wrong generation. I wish I was raised in the 50s or 60s in simpler times. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, but if you know anything about me, typically my face is like, I am a modern girl. I love modern technology. I am a city girl, and I am not ashamed of it, okay? Some of you may have seen that video circulating a couple months ago of me trying to hold one of the Willie's chickens. Uh, if you haven't seen that, you can ask David for it. I'm sure he will show you. It did not go well. I am a modern girl. I'm a city girl, and I'm okay with that, right? And so when I hear people say that, I'm like, but what about technology? What about Starbucks drive-throughs? What about, what about traveling easy? What about, you know, those kinds of things. And one thing in particular about modern day that I love is GPS. I love GPS, okay? I grew up with two parents who were pizza delivery drivers in their earlier days, so they know how to get literally everywhere. I mean everywhere. My dad took me uh, to pick up a couch like a couple months ago, and I told him this random address in Urbandale, and he just went there. He just went there. I'm like, you don't have to type it in. We go on road trips, you guys. They will go to North Carolina and back. No GPS. I don't understand it. Okay, I love GPS. I love that when I'm going somewhere new and I don't know where I'm going, I can just type it in and it will take me there. I had a friend who a few months ago was going to Ikea. Any Ikea lovers? Yeah? Yeah, I'm surprised that you can still say that. After putting together a piece of Ikea furniture, I'm like triggered just thinking about it. But uh, she was going to Ikea down in Kansas City, and she goes down, and she has her day, and she gets her shopping done. She buys 475 pieces of one dresser, and, she bring, and she's on her way home, and she's going back to Milo, Iowa is where she's going, okay? So she types in Milo on her GPS. She clicks the first thing that pops up. She sees what highway she needs to go on, and she turns the GPS off. Okay. My friend is driving home. It's about a four-hour drive, and she gets a text from uh, another person who lives in Milo. She shares their locations on their phone. He's like, hey, are you almost home? Like, where are you at? She's like, yeah, I'm like 10 minutes from home. And he's like, no, you're not. Look at your map. She was in Oklahoma. <laughs> she was in Oklahoma. She had clicked the wrong Milo. 
<laughs> she did not follow her GPS. She did not follow her northern star. And uh, I won't say who that is to embarrass, I won't embarrass them, but Kayla May, thank you for letting me use that story in my sermon. Um, so she had to drive the full nine hours back home. What does it look like when we do not follow our GPS? What does it look like when we do not take our northern star seriously? It has been such an exciting challenge diving into this series with you. Live no lies. Raise your hand if you've been challenged or if you've enjoyed this series so far. That's what I'm talking about. Wow, that's like a really good number. Someone write that down. That's good. Um, it's been an exciting series, but it's been a tough one as well. Learning about these enemies that sabotage our hearts and our minds. But it's been good to learn how to gear up together for battle. And the first week, Jason talked about how the mind, there's a struggle, there's a battle for our mind. The struggle is real. Bob then talked about how we have uh, these deceived ideas that we receive, it, indeed, from Satan, right? We have deceived ideas. Jason then talked about the next week, how those deceiving ideas from the devil are played out in our flesh, right? Our fleshly desires. And today, we're going to talk about the third enemy, which is the world, okay? So the entire setup of this book is based upon the fact that we, the struggle is real, the battle is real. We receive deceiving ideas, which our flesh desires to play out, and then the world normalizes it and champions it, it on. And as we talk about the third enemy today of the world, I think enemy is a really strong word. That's very strong language, and I think it is for a purpose. And we really need to dive in and decipher what exactly the world is, okay? If you look in the New Testament, the, world, the word for world is actually cosmos. It's where we get the word cosmos from. Not cosmopolitan, ladies. Cosmos, okay? Cosmos is the Greek word. And this is why reading your Bible for context, studying the word of God, is important, okay? Not just reading it for face value, because there are actually three meanings for the word world in the New Testament. And so as we're deciphering what this enemy is, it's important that we know just what we're talking about. One meaning of the word world is literally the giant spinning sphere that we are on, the earth, okay? That is one meaning for the word, wor uh, word world, that's going to get me, in the New Testament. Romans 1.20, it says this. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that people are without excuse. The creation of the world, okay? That's our first meaning of the world. It's the giant sphere that we're on. It's the earth, okay? Clearly, this cannot be the enemy because as it says, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through it. The earth is beautiful and we can see God's nature in it, God's divine qualities from it. So the earth is not our enemy when we talk about this sense of the word world. The next meaning that we see uh, for the meaning of the word world mentioned in the New Testament is the people who live on the giant spinning sphere. That is us. Good morning and welcome. Uh, the people is the next meaning of this. A classic, John 3.16, you probably know it. If you don't, I've got it on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The people are not the enemy. And I think that this can be a tough one um, for some of us sometimes, even for myself at times, because do people sin? 
Yes. Do we sin? Yes. Do I sin? Yes. We do sin, right? We do act out these fleshly desires, and it can be tough and sometimes even disturbing to look at our world, to look at our people and see the devil's desires acted out. But the people are not our enemy. The people are lost and hurting. The people are not the enemy. It's hard to watch what's happening in the world. It's difficult. But when we, when we view the people or the world in this sense as the enemy, we harbor anger and rage in our hearts when, again, people are just lost and hurting. They are sheep seeking a shepherd, people seeking a savior. We must stop demonizing hurting and lost people because the moment you lose sight of compassion for a person, that is the moment you have lost sight for the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' longing for you who was lost and hurting. Satan loves to tempt us with self-righteousness. Why can't they just get it? Why can't they just understand what morals are? Why can't they just see what is good is bad? Why can't they just read the Bible like me, worship like me, go to church like me? And the moment self-righteousness creeps in, we lose compassion. When we lose compassion, we become unloving, and all of a sudden we're not following the second greatest command and you are just as lost as they are. The people are not the enemy. They are God's beloved. So in this sense, when we talk about the devil, the flesh, and the world, we're not talking about the earth. We're not talking about the people. We are talking about the third meaning of the world. And I believe that it's really well described in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. First of all, ouch. I feel like every time I read that verse, I'm like, oh, sheesh. The love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, pay attention to this part, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So what is the battle against? The battle is against sin's corruption, the sinful forces in our world. Ephesians 6, 12 sums it up really well as well when it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. The powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The battle is not against the earth. The battle is not against the people. The battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. In the book, Live No Lies, John quotes his spiritual mentor, Dallas Willard, which that's just crazy to me that that's his spiritual mentor. But anyways, uh, Dallas Willard, and he, this is his definition of the world are cultural and social practices that are under control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Now read that one more time. Our cultural and social practices that are under control of Satan and thus opposed to God. So the enemy is the corrupted spiritual 
forces. That is our enemy. That is the thing that we are talking about. That is what the battle is against in our mind. The world is what happens when sin becomes popular and normalized. It is when the distorted becomes the cultural norm. Sin is recasted all the time in our world, in our culture, in our day-to-day lives as things that are meant to be normal. And it is a very slippery slope that none of us are immune to. Think about it. In your workplace, right? Maybe you are in an office or a break room or a construction site or somewhere, wherever you are, and you're sitting there maybe just eating lunch or something, and there's some coworkers in the lunchroom, in the break room, whatever, that are gossiping. Okay? Gossip. In the first week, you're just sitting there, you're kind of uncomfortable, you don't really say anything, you're just kind of letting it happen, right? The next week, you're sitting in the same spot, same thing is happening, you begin to agree in your mind. Oh yeah, she did do that. Oh yeah, that did happen, ugh, ugh, right? The next week, you're in the same spot, and you're verbally agreeing. You are inserting yourself into the conversation. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. The next week, you're in the same situation again, And now you are bringing up the topics. You, at this point, are fully saturated in a gossiping tongue. Gossip is just an example, but this can happen. It's a slippery slope. We see sin at first, and and maybe we're uncomfortable by it, and we know it's not right. And before we know it, as we continue to not gear up for battle, as we continue to not guard our minds, we are fully saturated in whatever that sin is. And sin normalized, like I said, it it can look like a lot of different things. I bring up gossip as an example, um, but there are a lot of different things it can look like. It can look like abortion is reproductive rights. It can look like men's horrific behavior, but justifying it by saying boys will be boys. It can look like a lot of different things. It can look like saying racism is just an issue from the past. It can look like saying Marxism is justice. It can look like placing your belonging or your identity in a country or a political party instead of in Jesus. Sin normalized can, do, can look like a lot of different things. Recasting sin as normal is something we see all the time, and none of us are immune to it. And I mean that. None of us are immune to it. There's no special person that sins like, I'm not going to touch them, actually. They're special. No, none of us are immune to it. We see it all the time. Humans are naturally equipped with a herd mentality, and humans are naturally equipped with a monkey see, monkey do type of learning, right? Think about it. Parents, you spend a lot of time with your children, right? You're with them all the time, at home, et cetera, et cetera. Suddenly, one day, you're at a party or some sort of social gathering, and your kid pipes up and says something, and your eyes go wide like a deer in the headlights. Oh, my gosh. Where did they learn that? That's crazy. We are a monkey see, monkey do people. Ben chatted a few months ago on something that was really, it's been instrumental. We've been talking a lot about it for the staff recently called an echo chamber. You guys remember this? Okay. Those of you who may not remember, we're going to do a little recap this morning. An echo chamber is an environment in which we express our own opinions and thoughts to a chamber. This can be a group of people, this can be a social media platform, it can be multiple things. These people, this chamber, feels and thinks the same way you do. So those are the only things reverberating in your mind day to day. Think about it, you walk into a cave and you go, echo, what comes back? Echo, echo, echo. That is an echo chamber. You are shouting these things out 
into a people group, into a social media platform, whatever it be, and it pumps massive amounts of it back to you, right back to your own ears. And like I said, we see this on social media all the time, okay? If you have ever been on like Facebook or Instagram, you'll notice your feed is very well catered to who? To you. It's very well catered to you. And there's a reason for this. When you like a post or when you share a post, when you comment on something, they take note of that and they pump massive amounts of that content back to you. I would be willing to bet that if a friend or a mentor or whoever took two minutes on your social media feed, they would know so much about you. So much about you. And this could, be a, this could be a multitude of things. This could be political content. This could be cooking videos. This could be hiking outdoor games. This could be video game content. My friends make fun of me all the time because if you look at my social media feed, it is just a plethora of dog videos and baking videos. <laughs> Jaden's laughing at me. She knows it's true. That is what my, it's just Mark Zuckerberg does a really good job of curating my content. But they, they just pump massive amounts of that back into you. But whether it's a chamber of a social media platform or of a family, we have our own echo chambers. And as we lock ourselves in to these personally crafted chambers, soon it is who we are. We are drawn to it. We love it. It is who we are, it is what we want, it is what we are about. We are a monkey see, monkey do type of people. It's not an insult, it's just the truth. We all are, okay? We humans receive distorted ideas from the devil that the flesh desires and the world normalizes it. So what does this mean? Whether we'd like to admit it or not, our hearts and our minds can and are being colonized. Our hearts and our minds can and are being colonized. There is a war, there is a battle for our minds. We are not immune to being formed by the world around us rather than Jesus Christ who lives within us. Every Christian, every person who considers himself to be a Christian should be able to ask themselves these questions, humbly. In what ways have I been assimilated into the worldly culture? Where have I drifted from my identity of Christ or from my heavenly citizenship? In what ways have I been assimilated to the culture? So what do we do about this? We're not immune to it. We can't get away from it. Should we just like form like a little Christian bubble, should we just have like a commune and we all just like live together and like share bread and read the Bible in the morning together and don't go out into the outside world? Is that what we should do? No, no, that would be really weird. Um, we should not do that. Should we separate ourselves completely? No, we shouldn't do that. How do we stay away from the world though if we are not immune to it? This seems like something impossible to do. Enter Jesus, our GPS our northern star. And what do we know about Jesus? He was the ultimate shepherd. He was the perfect minister. Yet completely human. Completely in the world. Completely not of it. He was a friend of sinners. 
And this was like so radical, actually. Like if you study the New Testament, if you study early law, you will see rabbis and teachers, they did not associate with these types of people, okay? They built essentially their little Christian commune where they shared bread and crops and just only talked to each other, okay? Like (laughs) they essentially did that type of thing. So Jesus being a friend of sinners, that was crazy, But he did it all the time. Matthew 9, Jesus eats with the tax collectors. If you know about the tax collectors, if you don't, they were really hated in that community. They were thieves. People did not like them, but he's eating dinner with them. Luke 7, Jesus protects protects a sinful woman who anoints his feet with oil. I am so thankful to live in a world where as a woman I am championed on. But this was not the case back then let alone a sinful, adulterous woman, and he protects her. He stands up for her. Luke 19, Jesus goes out to eat with Zacchaeus, another tax collector. I love this story, by the way, too, because Jesus doesn't say, hey, sinner, come to my house. Come on, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. No, no, no. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. I am coming to your house for dinner today. He just inserts himself into his life. John 4, Jesus spend time, spends time with the Samaritan woman who had multiple husbands. This is also a very big deal. As I mentioned earlier, women were not championed on back in that day, for one. And for two, a Samaritan woman? If you don't know much about the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. They were not supposed to talk or affiliate with one another, but he's spending time with her. John 8, Jesus protects uh, an adulterous woman who is about to be killed. I could go on. I could do an entire sermon just on this and just list example after example. Jesus is the perfect example for this. He is in the world. He is a friend of sinners. He is doing radical things, yet he is not of the world. So we can't separate ourselves. We have to be in the community. We have to be in them. I love the picture that Jesus gives us in John 17 when he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. So I'm sorry, if you liked the Christian commune idea, it was just shut down. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus' goal was never to completely take us out of the world. We are to be separate, right? We are to be a light on a hill, but we are still to be in it. Okay. I know there's some people here that are type A personalities, and you're probably sitting in your chair, and you're like, okay, we get it. Like, don't be in the world. Now, how can I do that by Monday morning? Kayla May probably already has a spreadsheet typed up, okay? Like, how do we get this done before tomorrow morning? And it just doesn't always work that way. For my type A people and for everyone else as well, we must understand that being in the world, not of it, forming these practices takes time. We are human. We are so human. I am so human. (laughs) It takes time and it's hard. And we have to give ourselves and we have to give others grace. So I know that maybe you're looking at this and you're like, all right, I'm going to be in the world. I'm not going to be of it. I'm going to fight the lies. I'm going to fight the devil. Just really get into it tomorrow morning. And you're going to wake up and you're going to read your Bible and you're going to listen to worship music on the way to work. Someone's going to cut you off and you're not even going to say a word, okay? It's going to be great. But then 9 a.m. is going to hit and something else is going to happen, and something else is going to happen, and you're going to realize just how human you are. In this world, you will have trouble. 
That's biblical. I didn't come up with that. Don't tweet me, okay? In this world, you will have trouble. You will be mocked. You will be hated. We have to come to the conclusion that we may never be cool, whatever that means. We may not even be respected by the culture. This isn't a shock. The Greek word for the church actually means called out. We are supposed to be different. We are supposed to be called out. Later on, uh, actually, a couple chapters back in John 15, Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. If you belonged to the world, again, belonged to those sinful forces, right? Not to the people, not to the earth, to the sinful forces. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. And that is really blunt. When Jesus says to pick up your cross and follow him, it is not the cute little cross with flowers on it in your kitchen. When he says to pick up your cross and follow him, it is going to take hard work. So, we are human. It's going to be hard but we have to fight the lies. Today is the last week of our Live No Lies series. We've been building up to this. After all of that, the moment you have been waiting for, how do we fight the lies? How do we fight them? Are you ready? Are you ready? Can I get a drum roll, please? How do we fight the lies? We live in truth. Was that good? Did you like that? Worship team, you can come up. I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. But do we do. We live in truth. We fight the lies from the devil, our flesh, and the world with truth. As John chapter 17 continues, it says this, oh, again, reading from the beginning, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth sanctify them by your truth. This is how we fight the lies. This is how we live no lies. It's not just like, you know, whenever I think of like fighting, I think of, uh, I think of like sword drills when I was like younger. Did you guys do those sword drills? Some of my kids leaders are here. You help me with those sword drills. I think of that sometimes while memorizing scripture is great. It's not just sword drills, okay? It's not waking up and uh, having just like a fist fight with the devil. It's not getting on Facebook and seeing something that you don't agree with and commenting your opinion because they really care about that. Um, it's not that. It's living in truth and fighting every day every single day. To live in truth, okay, I have two words for you this morning. To live in truth, first off, means to abide in Jesus. It means to abide in Jesus, to be near to him, to be in his presence, to know him, to be like him. I remember when I was a server, and um, we would make tea for people, and like Maybe this will make you never go out to eat again. I don't know. But I, we would make tea for people when I worked at Jethro's and I worked at Chili's. And I would take the tea bag and I would dunk it a bunch of times in the thing. And I would squeeze it out with a spoon, sometimes with our hands. And we would squeeze it out. And then we would dunk it a bunch of times again. And then we would squeeze it out. And I feel like sometimes that's how our relationship with Jesus can be. 
We get to church on Sunday morning and we get all that we can out of worship and we listen in and we write our notes down and we pray with people and we talk with people and we commune with believers and then we get out to the car and our notes get shoved in our center console and we go about on our lives. To abide with Jesus means to be with him. A couple chapters back, Jesus says this in John 15, I am the true fine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This right here, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. This part tears me up. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. We must abide in Jesus. We as humans need a northern star to follow. Without it, kick it back to my GPS story. Baby, you're going to end up in Oklahoma. <laughs> we need a northern star to follow. We have to seek him, study him, know him, love him, cling to him. Follow him with a determined spirit to fight being colonized by the world's dark nature and ideology. We have to abide in Jesus. And that is not all. We must do this in community. We cannot do this alone. That should be your next villain. We cannot do this alone. We have to do this alongside others. We have to fight lies alongside others. We have to abide in Jesus alongside others. We have to come eating and drinking alongside others. It's hard. We're humans. It's a lot less hard if we do it together. So you need to come to Sunday services. I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor and this is my job, okay? I'm just saying that because it's biblical. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the gathering. We must gather with believers in a room who the Holy Spirit dwells in. We must be with them. I encourage you, if you're not in a small group, join a small group. Those are our little churches that do it together during the week. And they fight with one another and they fight for one another and they intercede for one another. You can't do this alone. Be at Sunday services. Join a small group. Get a mentor or a mentee. That's intimidating. Someone that is feeding into you directly and personally. Someone who you can go to coffee with and they can be like, hey, you're doing something silly stupid and we need to talk about it. And you'll be like, okay, I respect that. What do you have for me? Someone that you're feeding into. Because disciples make disciples, right? We must abide in Jesus alongside a community. We cannot do this alone, and we were never meant to. From the beginning of Genesis, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. That was when God was with man. He says it's not good for him to be alone. We have to do this together.
And I believe that we are a community that can. And all this battle talk, right, there's, we talk about so many things that we're against and so many things that we are not for, but we as a community can battle the lies and we can be in that for good. We can be for good. We can be a light on a hill. A pleasant hill, if you will. That was cheesy, sorry. But we can be together. An anchor spot in the community that blesses the community, that champions on joy and peace and love and patience and kindness in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools. We can be an anchor spot for love and for blessing, an anchor spot of truth. We will not stray from the truth. We will live in truth, and we will do it by abiding with Jesus, with a community that we love. As the world pushes us towards ferocious individualism, we will join together, and we will blossom in a radical Christ-like community that encourages these things. Love, freedom in Christ, justice for all, unity in our differences. And that sounds really exciting. And I am excited to do this with you. Today may be the last day of this Live No Lies series, but we have got an awesome season ahead. And I am, I'm excited to do it with you, but it can also be intimidating. Because like I said, 9 a.m. tomorrow will come. Your human form will rise to the surface. It can be intimidating and it can be a little anxiety driven. And that's okay. It's going to be a wild ride. And that much I can guarantee. But as we abide in the vine, with the community with the same goal in mind, we will fight hedonism with holiness, individualism with deep relational ties. We'll fight chaos with peace. We'll fight the demonizing of people and disunity amidst people with the radical love of Jesus Christ. Nobody knows what tomorrow holds. We don't know if a massive revival for the West is coming or if it's years more of trial and hardship. But either way, this could be our finest hour. In the midst of whatever comes our way, we can thrive. We can fight the devil, the flesh, and the world by abiding with Jesus with one another. We can fight the lies and we can live in truth.